Give praises to our King this morning. Praise Him. Praise Him for His holiness, His power, His grace. Lord Jesus, You are the King of kings. Lord of lords, the ruler over all rulers, the president of presidents. You are it. (laughs) And I love that phrase, you are everything, Lord. There's just something in us that longs to worship something greater than ourselves, and you are it. And Jesus, we lift our voices and our hands and offer ourselves to you anew and afresh today. Your presence is fullness of joy. Lord, speak to us today. Lift our gaze a few degrees from where we normally see so that we can see beyond ourselves. Give us a fresh vision, Lord, of who you are and what's in your heart. And uh, thank you so much for letting us be a part of your forever family, our brothers and sisters in this room and around the world. And we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. 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 You can have a seat. Well, good morning. It's good to see you today, and uh, it's even even better to be in God's presence together, enjoying Him. And um, well, Jesus is in the house today. We've invited Him in. It says He is present where His people are praising Him, and. Uh, We love the Lord Jesus Christ around here. We worship Him. We think He's it. Someone wrote me an email recently and said, um, you know, where I go to to college, um, people are saying that there are many, many ways to God, but when I come to New Life, I hear that Jesus, you know, is it. Is that true? Is that what New Life really believes? And I said, yes! (laughs) Jesus is the way, truth, and the life, and the only way to God. And we worship Him today. And in this series that we're in, that we've titled Jesus, we're just diving deep into Jesus Christ. We're learning more of Him and and discovering that He's more than we thought. He's amazing. He's alive. In our weekend celebrations and in many of our small groups, we are just pursuing Christ together at a deeper level. And I hope you are. Today we're going to talk about his kingdom, and I want to ask you a question this morning. From what you know of the Bible, and from what you know of the life of Jesus, was there one particular theme that was kind of an overarching theme that ran through everything he taught? Did Jesus have a particular mantra, you might call it? Was there one overarching idea that dominated his message and his teaching? What do you think? Well, I hope to convince you today, convince all of us, that Jesus did indeed have a primary message, a a mantra, a phrase that he was forever talking about, a single concept that dominated his teaching. And I'm embarrassed to say that for many years I never saw this. And maybe you haven't either. You can take the study guide out of your worship folder, reach in and pull it out and This morning we're going to look into the Gospels and see if we can identify together the main message of Jesus when he was here on this planet. 
And uh, we're, a lot of scriptures are going to appear on the screen right now. We're going to read them out loud together and just see if we can pick up, pick up on what Jesus' main message was, okay? Let's read these aloud together. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Do you see a theme emerging here? Do you see it? Lest you think I'm just drawing a few isolated scriptures out of the text for my purposes, I want us to read more, and when you see the word kingdom, just add a little punch to it when you read it, okay? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. As you go, preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. So the kingdom is about a treasure. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Yesterday I was here for our Awana Grand Prix event, which we hold every year, and they put a big track up here. It starts on the stage and goes right down the center aisle, and these cars just go speeding down the track. It's great fun. There's kids all over the place here. And there's about four or five little girls in our church, just the cutest things, who every time they see me, they just come up to me and give me a big old hug. And that happened yesterday while I was here. These cute little girls, and we just have boys in our family, okay? So I don't get this this often. So these girls come, and they you know, grab me and hug me, and I pick them up and hug them. And every time I hug one of those little girls, I just think of these verses that talk about becoming like a little child in the kingdom of God, just pure and innocent and trusting, so trusting. Let's go to the next one. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. 
Time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. People will come from the east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You are right in saying, I am a king. In fact, for this reason, I was born, and for this reason, I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. You know, stringing together all of those verses like that makes it pretty obvious, doesn't it? What was the overarching theme of Jesus' teaching? What was it? It was the kingdom. Sometimes he called it the kingdom of God. Sometimes he called it the kingdom of heaven or my kingdom or the kingdom. But Bible scholars are in general agreement. It's all talking about the same thing. His mantra, his primary theme in his teaching was this notion of a kingdom. Jesus talked about the kingdom all the time. When you read through the Gospels, he was forever telling stories about the kingdom. He was forever using metaphors to describe this kingdom. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like yeast. The kingdom of God is like a treasure. He was trying to paint a picture for people of this kingdom so they would long for it and ache for it. He insisted on its importance. He said, seek first the kingdom of God. Make it your highest priority. He constantly talked to people about the entrance requirements for getting into the kingdom, for being a part of it. He talked about the cost and the rewards of living out the values of the kingdom. Just about every recorded statement of Jesus in the Gospels can be tied into the kingdom of God somehow. Maybe you noticed that Jesus talked about this kingdom of God as if it were both present and future. Both present and future as if it was already here and yet still to come, as if it was both come and coming, this kingdom. Some people think that the kingdom of God equals heaven, and I don't. I I think that heaven, the eternal state, is a wonderful phase of kingdom life, yet future, but Jesus often talked about the kingdom as if it was here now, and that it was spiritual and invisible right now, the kingdom of God. He also talked about it as if the kingdom had its own distinct culture. Different, distinct from the culture of this world. That God's kingdom was literally a counter-cultural movement within the larger culture that would gradually spread and transform that culture, like yeast being kneaded through a whole lump of dough. Now I must confess that in my ministry training... 
decades ago, I was not taught much about the kingdom of God. The focus of my training was on the local church and, and growing a healthy local church. So when I started reading about God's kingdom a few years ago, I had to make room in my mind. I had to make room in my thinking for this concept of the kingdom of God that seems so important to Jesus. I had to adjust my thinking, and, and maybe that will be the case for you as well. But here's my conviction. If we ignore or fail to understand Jesus' heart for the kingdom, then we're going to miss a huge piece of what it means to be one of his followers. Now, I believe the kingdom of God is like a diamond, and you could hold, hold it up to the light and turn it and just see dozens and dozens of different facets to the kingdom of God. And we can never hope to view all of the wonderful facets of the kingdom in a single viewing. Today, I just want to kind of whet your appetite for exploring the kingdom of God more on your own, in your own personal study and in your small groups. Kingdom. In just a few minutes, one of God's choice kingdom servants, Steve Coffey, is going to come on up here and share with you how God's kingdom is spreading throughout the world and some of the cool things the Lord is doing in his kingdom work. I should probably also say that since we don't live in a kingdom... You know, we live in a democracy, a democratic republic, that uh, some kingdom principles and kingdom truths will probably be hard for us to understand and maybe even hard to accept. But let's, let's try together. And I want to start with a simple definition of a kingdom, and it's there on your, on your notes. You say, well, you know, what is a kingdom? A kingdom in its simplest form is simply a king in his domain. Kingdom. King domain. That's what a kingdom is. A domain over which a king has sovereign rule, it's the governing influence of a king over his territory, impacting it with his personal will, purpose, and intent, and producing a culture that reflects the king's nature and values and morals and lifestyle and his desire for his citizens. I'm just curious, has anybody in the room ever lived abroad as a citizen of a bona fide Kingdom, a country that is a kingdom, a monarchy. Has anybody ever lived in a monarchy? Okay. Anybody else? Several of you? One of the guys I've been reading uh, on this subject of the kingdom grew up in the Bahamas, which at the time when he grew up was a colony of Great Britain. It was under a kingdom rule. And it's interesting to, to read him and hear him talk about what it was like to grow up in a kingdom. And how much pride the citizens of that kingdom, colony, took in their king. And how, you know, everything that was part of this guy's life growing up, from the songs he would learn as a little kid, to the anthems he was taught as a teenager, to the kind of food they ate, to the kind of dress that they wore, all of it was affected by and impacted by the kingdom and their king. You know, the Bible says that as followers of Jesus Christ, we are citizens of heaven. Did you know that? Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. We are citizens of heaven. You say, well, I thought I was a citizen of the United States. Well, I hope that you are, but you actually have dual citizenship if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You're a citizen down here on the earth of the United States, but primarily you're a citizen of heaven. That's your primary allegiance, as it is mine. We are in the kingdom of Christ. Well, today, I want to talk to you briefly and just mention three 
principles of kingdom living that we who are citizens of heaven and followers of Christ need to understand when it comes to kingdom living. Here's the first one. Listen. The heart and the glory of any kingdom is its king. Say that with me. The heart and the glory of any kingdom is its king. All kingdoms have this in common. The center of the government is the king himself. In a sense, the king is the kingdom. Everything in the life of the kingdom flows out of the nature and life and will of the king. If there is no king, there really is no kingdom. And that's different than than what we experience here in the United States. Here, the president is not the center of the government. The Constitution is. Presidents change every few years, as we experienced this week. But the, the Constitution remains and provides continuity of law and of government through the ten years of many, many presidents. But in a pure kingdom government, the king is the Constitution. The king's word is law. The king's sovereign rule is the authority of the kingdom. Historically, most monarchies have failed for lack of a perfect king. You can read history down through the ages, all the monarchies that that rose and fell, and, and they fell because their kings weren't perfect. But who is the king in the kingdom of God? Who is it? It is Jesus standing before Pilate. And Pilate said, are you a king? Jesus said, it is as you say. I am a king. Who is the king of the kingdom of God? Is it John McCain? No. Is it Barack Obama? No. It's King Jesus and he's a perfect king. He's a perfect king. And we, the citizens of the kingdom of God, glory and boast and brag on our king. Amen? Amen? We love talking about our king. He's the centerpiece of the kingdom. I have a friend named Ed who's a great brother in Christ. And whenever I'm around Ed, I feel convicted. Because Ed, whenever I'm talking with him, he's always talking about his king. He's always talking about King Jesus. And, and he said, hey, I've got I to tell you what Jesus did in my life this week. I've got to tell you what Jesus is doing in Terry's life or in Jill's life. He is forever talking about his king. And when I'm around him, I feel convicted because I realize I'm not talking about my king enough. And the king is the center of the kingdom. On the back of your little white cards that you fill out every week, down at the bottom it says, do you have a bragging on God story? Has God done something in your life recently or in your family's life that you just want to tell, you just want to brag on God, you want to boast and glory in your king? And we like it when you actually write stories where you're talking and and bragging and boasting on your king. You see, the king is the centerpiece of a kingdom. Am I making any sense? And as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we need to make Jesus the king the center of our lives and of our conversation, boasting and bragging on him. This next year, our ministry team has said, one of, the, one of the things we want to do as a church and get better at doing as a church is telling the stories about our king. Telling them more often in more ways through more avenues than ever before so that the fame of our king gets spread far and wide. Wouldn't that be great? 
if people would hear from our lips and the lips of others just how awesome a king Jesus is. We boast in his, his bounty, his riches, his generosity, his character, his holiness as we talked about and sang about earlier. The heart and glory of any kingdom is its king. And we worship King Jesus. Second kingdom principle is this. The values of the kingdom of God are upside down from the values of our culture. The values that we live out in this kingdom as kingdom citizens are actually inverted, upside down from the values of the culture that we live in in this world. As a result, we are counter-cultural. Sometimes I don't know if we, we truly get this, but that God intended to start a counter-cultural movement down here on this planet. You are a countercultural revolutionary. Did you know that? Look at your neighbor right now and just tell him, you're part of the counterculture. <laughs> minus the beads, minus the tie-dyed t-shirts and the marijuana and all that. <laughs> you're part of the underground, the subversives, the counterculture. We march to the beat of a different drummer than everybody in the world in hopes that they will see our kingdom lifestyle and long for it and see there's something missing in my existence. Jesus often talked about the principles of his kingdom, and they're they're so different. He said, uh, if you want to be first, go to the end of the line. Push other people up ahead of you. Our world says, love your friends and hate your enemies. And Jesus said, love your friends and love your enemies. Jesus said, if you want to gain your life, lose it. Jesus said, if you want to really live, die to yourself and your selfish agenda. Jesus said, do you want to receive? Do you want to acquire? Then release. Give it away. Be generous. Give and it shall be given unto you. See, Jesus' values are inverted from the values of the culture that we live in. He didn't say, blessed are the arrogant and assertive. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Today, I want to challenge you to be part of God's underground, God's counterculture, God's citizens of a colony of heaven, a kingdom outpost here on this planet full of citizens who are living out kingdom values that stand in stark contrast to the values of our culture in this world. And I'm telling you, when we start living out those kingdom values, people are going to take note. And they're going to want to know our king. They're going to want to know our king. Third value I want to mention before Steve comes up here is, um, is this. The kingdom of God is bigger than any one church. Much bigger. The kingdom of God is bigger than any one church. Now again, this is not what I was taught in my ministry training, but I've had to, again, adjust my thinking to realize that kingdom thinking is different than just local church thinking. The kingdom of God is much bigger than just our church. And that Jesus' love is broad and deep and wide. And he loves all the people in the entire world. And that he has disciples, followers around the world, not only by the names of Joe and Mary, but by the names of Hashem and Nigen and Sunmo 
And it's not just about being the biggest church in town. It's about churching the whole town. It's not about building our kingdom here in this church. It's about letting God build His kingdom worldwide through us. And there's a difference. It's a different way of thinking. And it's about rejoicing in what God is doing throughout the whole world. Kingdom mindset. Kingdom thinking. Steve Coffey has been a ministry partner of ours for 20 years. Um, We knew this guy back when we were all at Liberty University, back in the late 70s and early 80s. And he and his wife Beth ministered in Lyon, France for many, many years. And we linked up with them. We've been supporters of them for many years. And then a few years ago, God called him back to the States to lead, to be the president of Chris Star International Ministries, a missions agency that's sending missionaries all over the world. And God has placed Steve in a unique position and given him a unique vantage point from which to see what God's doing in his kingdom work all over the world. So Steve and Beth are our guests this weekend, and I've asked Steve to come and just share with us, give us a little peek, a little glimpse into what God's doing all over the world in his kingdom. So would you welcome Steve Coffey to New Life. It is a great joy to be with you and to have the opportunity to share about what God is doing around the world. You see, God is at work and He is doing exactly what He promised back in the beginning of time when He told Abraham, through you, all of the peoples of the earth will be blessed. And Jesus Christ came as a confirmation of that promise. And we have the end of the story. If we read in Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, we read the following. They sang a new song. You were worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. The beautiful reality of the kingdom of God is that God's purposes, God's kingdom, is for all peoples. And one day we will stand before our great God and we will worship Him side by side with people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Today I want to just walk with you through a number of things that God is doing around the world. In Christar, I call it the top ten things that God is doing in and through Christar, but let me make this very clear. This is not about Christar. Christar is just a small part of what God is doing. And it's not really just the top ten things. These are just ten examples of how God is at work, working through people like you and me, who love our King, and who have given themselves to serve Him. Let's look through them and see what they are. Number ten. If we were to start at the ten and work our way up to number one, the tenth thing is what God is doing in Turkey. Now, Turkey is a beautiful country, 70 million people, a beautiful culture, gracious people, wonderful people, and yet they have been for many years within the teaching and the following the the faith of Islam, and they've been prevented from hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. But God is at work there today. When just a few years ago there were only a handful of believers, they tell us there are three or four thousand believers in this country. Now that might not seem like a, like a lot of people in terms of 70 million, and yet God is at work. 
God is taking those things that are happening in Turkey and causing his kingdom to grow. Let me give you an example. Just over a year ago, there were three men, men who love our king, who were killed because of their faith and their worship of our Savior in the city of Malatya. And in the aftermath of this killing of the three men and the trials are still going on about those who were involved in this killing, the goodness and the forgiveness of God is being proclaimed. The national news centered on the wives, two of the wives of these men who gave their lives because of their faith. And one of the wives stood up and said, God has forgiven me, I forgive those who murdered my husband. Now you could not pay for the goodness of God's forgiveness to be broadcast over the national news. You could not pay for all the publicity that is taking place, and yet God takes the tragedies that we experience, and in His amazing sovereign work, transforms them, and uses them for His glory. I was reading again this morning in John chapter 11, where Lazarus was sick and he, and he died and, and he told his disciples, this is not for, this, his death, his dying is for your sake to see the work of God. And in Turkey where the police and the government are trying to suppress the message of the gospel and trying to expose those who are followers of Christ and publicize them in order to harm them, God is turning that. And drawing people to want to know more. What is it about these people? That they would follow their Savior in the midst of suffering. God takes tragedy and transforms it into the furtherance of His kingdom. Number nine. In the country of Uzbekistan, there is a situation that is taking place. As is often the case when the gospel penetrates areas of the world where it has not gone before, there's significant resistance. There is a, a resistance to the message. There's a resistance to the people. And as this has taken place in Uzbekistan, as the message of Christ has been taken to the people of Uzbekistan by men and women who love God and who follow Him, using their skills to communicate God's love to them, in the last couple of years, the country the government of Uzbekistan has kicked all of these foreign followers of Christ out. And there would be many of us who would say, oh no, what's going to happen? And yet, God takes this and He transforms it. He uses what might not seem to be what we would think should happen and He turns it for good. In the country of Uzbekistan, the church continues to grow. The kingdom of God continues to expand. And our co-workers had the privilege of training Uzbek believers and leaders outside of Uzbekistan. Right on the other side of the border in Kazakhstan, there's a fellowship of Uzbek believers. And through that fellowship, there's training of those who come out of Uzbekistan and are trained there to be able to lead the fellowships that they're serving back in Uzbekistan. To which we say, praise God. God is at work. Number eight. This is what I call the miracle country. That little country on the other side of the sea from Italy is Albania. 25 years ago, Albania was considered the most closed country in all the world. There were no known believers in this country. The most powerful radio transistors in all of the world were in this little bitty country. Not for broadcasting, 
but to prevent anything from the outside to penetrate into the country so that the people might hear about what his life is like outside and especially not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet the government fell and the people of God were able to go in and communicate the love of God and the grace of God and the people in Albania with a hunger and a vacuum to understand the truth that they had not heard before have come to faith in astounding numbers. They tell us today that there is no city or village in Albania of 5,000 people or more that does not have a fellowship of believers. Can you imagine? Just a few years ago, there were no known believers. And today, all around the country, there are fellowships of believers. And this past year, another exciting thing happened. They had their first nationwide missions conference. And an organization has been established called the Eagles of Peace. The eagle is the emblem of the Albanian people. And now God is raising up from this country that just a few years ago was resistant to the message, raising up workers who are taking the good news of Jesus Christ to others, to which we say, praise God. God is at work. Number seven, 1979, there was a revolution in Iran. The Ayatollah Khomeini had been in Paris. He had been fomenting a change in the country of Iran from afar, sending in cassettes and sending in messages. And in 79, he went back to Iran. And he led a revolution. The Shah was kicked out. People who were working there and presenting the message of Christ had to leave. And in 1979, there were only 300 known believers in all of the country of Iran. Today... God's word has had such an effect that they tell us that over one million Iranians have come to faith since 1979. To which we say, praise God. I like to say, wow, that's amazing. There's no way we could understand how God would take something and we kind of look at it and say, oh, the missionaries can't be there anymore. That didn't catch God by a surprise. God continues to use the word that was sown. And if I had more time, I would tell you some incredible stories of how the work that was done, the seed that was planted back in the 60s and 70s is bearing incredible fruit today. Needless to say, God's word continues to go forth and God's kingdom continues to spread. And we praise him for it. Number six, how many in here are paid to be in the ministry? Got one up here on the front. Another one over here. Brian, good. The rest of you, doctors, business people, educators, you know what? Your professions qualify to be used of God around the world. You see, the way that the message of Christ is going forth, the way the kingdom is spreading, is not by quote-unquote missionaries going. It's by people who are used of God in their professions and their skills who are offering their skills back to God and saying, God, I want you to use me. And it's through those skills, through those professions, they're able to go in and make a difference in communities around the world and touch those communities. And one of the beautiful things that's happening in China is the way that God is using business people to communicate the grace of God. One of our co-workers is involved in a group that takes CEOs out on a retreat 
And in that retreat, they tell them about God's love and they tell them about the work of our Savior Jesus Christ. And over the years, numbers of CEOs have come to faith. And as they have come to faith, they've opened up their factories to allow the Word of God to be taught. And many, many more have come to faith. Today, there are over 100 million followers of Christ in China. That's incredible. That's a wow. You're right. And you say, well, my goodness, why are we sending workers to China? Well, um, 100 million out of 1 billion still leaves 900 million who have not had the opportunity to hear. And there's still a lot of work to do. But God is using professionals, using doctors, uh, engineers, educators, business people to, com- to complete the work that he is doing there in China. Number five. In missions, one of the things that takes place is as God does raise up believers, as God does confirm the message of Christ and draw people to Himself and establish His kingdom, the work that has taken place before needs to change somewhat. That's somewhat of the case in China. It's also the case in India. The church in India has grown in a beautiful way. There are over 40,000 Indian missionaries. Praise God for that. God is at work in India. You probably support a number of them as a church here. And we need to be a blessing to our Indian brothers and sisters in Christ. But what does that do for Western workers in India? Is there still a place? And our Indian brothers would tell us, yes, there is. And our co-workers have seen that one of the ways that we can take the good news of Jesus Christ is to go to those peoples, the middle and upper class, that have been largely untouched with the gospel over the years. The very large number of those who have come to faith in India are among the lower class, the Dalits and the outcasts. And yet today God is penetrating the business class, the middle class that is developing within the Indian economy. And God is drawing people into His kingdom from levels of society that before had not been a part of His kingdom. Number four. As we mentioned, what is happening in Albania is happening in other parts of the world. Today, God is raising up workers from different parts of the world to be a part of His kingdom, and not only to be a part of the kingdom where they are, but to take the good news of Jesus Christ to other cultures. And one such example is there in the Philippines. In the southern island of Mindanao, in the Philippines, there are 13 different Muslim people groups. And on that island there is an institution that is training Sabuano followers of Christ to reach out to those Muslim people groups. They're studying the Word of God intensely. They're learning vocational skills. And they are every weekend going into Muslim villages and learning how to communicate the message of Christ in a way that is appropriate to their Muslim neighbors in the area. And from this institution, from this group that is the outflow of the churches that have grown up in that area, of the 13 different Muslim people groups in Mindanao, five of them today have church planting teams, to which we say, praise God. God continues to expand His kingdom. God's raising up Filipinos. God's raising up Indians. God's raising up Koreans. God's raising up Japanese. And this last year, we're finding out God's raising up people from Central Asia and Albania to be a part of His kingdom to take the message of Christ to those places that have yet to hear of God's good news. Number three, 
Kingdom work is not just about showing love and kindness. It's not just about planting churches where they do not exist. It's also about caring for and establishing those churches. One of the things that's taken place in recent years there in Turkey is the development of a study Bible where our co-workers have been able to build into the lives of the leaders of churches that have been established there. And they've been able to translate and develop a study Bible where pastors can study on their own and lead the congregation and the flock that they have. God is at work. Then number two, in the southern part of Pakistan is a group of people known as the Balochi people. The Balochi are a Muslim people group that have for many years never had the good news of Jesus Christ penetrate and take root into their culture. And yet in these last 15 years, the message of Christ has taken root. And there is today congregations or fellowships, communities of believers among the Balochi people. One of our co-workers is a businessman there in southern Pakistan. And he's had the privilege of leading these Balochis to faith in Christ and helping the leaders of these communities understand what it means to study the Word of God and to develop uh, the church around them. A couple years ago, he was on a retreat with the leaders of the Balochi fellowships. They went up into a little village on the border of Afghanistan and Pakistan, an area that's very dangerous and volatile. It was such that when they were traveling up the mountains, they put him down into the floorboard of the car to protect him from being seen by others. When they got up into this little mountain retreat area, they were studying the Word of God together and praying together. And one of the men began to recount what God had done among the Balochi people. He said it was kind of like what happened after the children of Israel came through the Red Sea. Do you remember the story back in Exodus of how Miriam began to sing the praises of God's deliverance? The song of Miriam? Well, that's what this man was doing. He was recounting how God had brought the message of Christ to them and how they put their faith in Him. And one of the others began to sing that story. And our colleague was just overwhelmed with joy and he quickly grabbed his camera and filmed what is probably the very first Balochi hymn. A song of praise and worship to our great God. Sung by Balochis in their own language and culture. God is at work. And number one, similar to number two, and we could recount story after story after story, is what's happening in Kazan, Russia. A city in central Russia, which is central to what is known as the Tatar people. A people group that have had in the past had some access to the gospel. But when those who had come to faith among the Tatar people had done so, they had to worship in Russian churches. It was not their language. It was not their culture. And in these past few years, God has raised up workers to go and help them to learn to worship in their own Tatar language and culture. And today there is a fellowship of believers just like among you with what we have here and around in the United States. People who love our Savior, who love the King, who are worshiping Him in their own language and culture. And that story is repeated over and over again. Churches established, kingdom being expanded among the Bui people in China, the Pumi people in China, the Mindanao, the Maranao in the Philippines, 
The Sindhi people in Pakistan and the Philippines. The Turkish people. Uzbeks. Tajiks. A couple of our co-workers were just... What we say is they were given the right foot of fellowship. In other words, they were kicked out of the country of Tajikistan just two weeks ago. And it's an incredible thing. Fifteen years ago, there was no fellowship in the city where they were working. Today, there is a fellowship of believers. But the government is not happy with that. And they've kicked all of the workers out. And when our two workers who were taken into the government KGB offices to be interrogated, one of the KGB officers said, you have done bad things down in this city. Half of the city has put their faith in Jesus and the other half hates you. Wow! Half the city? (laughs) They didn't know that. (laughs) We rejoice that although that's an exaggeration, the impact of the gospel is going forth. Friends, God's kingdom is advancing. But if you've noticed something as we look at these different ways that God's kingdom is advancing, there's a common thread. God's kingdom advances oftentimes through pain and suffering. God uses the pain and suffering that we experience to draw us closer to Himself and to transform our lives and the lives around us. Christianity is the only faith in all the world wherein God takes on the form of His creation and suffers. You see, suffering is not an aberration in the plan of God. It's a part of God's plan. Jesus suffered for you and me. He willingly gave His life so that you and I could have what we do not deserve, eternal life with Him. And it's through the suffering and pain that we face at various levels and our brothers and sisters around the world face in much greater degree than ourselves that God's kingdom is going forward. Today we rejoice, and I invite you to rejoice with us, that we serve the Sovereign King. He is not caught off guard when these things take place. He's not caught by surprise. He is carrying out His purposes. And He desires to honor His name through you, through me, and through our brothers and sisters around the world as we follow His purposes. He is worthy of our worship. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, Today we honor you as the King. We praise you that you are working out your purposes and that you're drawing people to yourself, that your kingdom is advancing. We give ourselves to you anew. May you use our lives to bring about your purposes. We love you and worship you today. Amen.